you can continue to stand with the vulture funds or you can finally say that this stops now. First time buyers, 500 a week drawing down their mortgage, the highest we've seen since I was in my late 20s. What have we done to try and help those people? If this happened in Dublin, should be sorted. Hello again, this is Your Politics, the weekly politics podcast from the RTE team here at Leinster House. I'm Anya Lawler, with me today, Tommy Meskell, and we have a visitor as well. We're delighted to welcome the Irish Independents, Gabia Gattavekaite, um, Health, Housing and RTE. Uh, let's start with RTE. As you're the visitor, Gabia. <laughs> um, hasn't been another great week. Bring us up to date. No, and it's another week of crap headlines for RTE. Uh, Kevin Backer's publishing this external legal advice um, this morning. Of course... This is about executives' exit packages. Yes, so, so he's coming under increased political pressure, particularly to publish the full details of those former executives um, and their exit payments. And really what TDs want to know is who got what, how much and when. Um, and Kevin Backhurst, I think, has said, look, I'm trying to do what I can, but I don't want to break the law. That's why he went off and he got this external legal advice. The legal advice basically backs him up. The legal advice says that, you know, there's confidentiality agreements. You can't really break them. That could get our team to more legal trouble. Um, also backs his handling of, you know, Rory Coveney leaving the organisation. Uh, he was paid around €200,000 um, saying that, look, well, that's cheaper than what, you know, legal costs or a case in the Workplace Relations Commission might have been. Um, so really, Kevin Backhurst in, I think, an issue that for the first time has been of his own making. You know, this isn't the former DG, this isn't former executives or sitting executives who've made some sort of an error. This has been, you know, he's come into criticism for something that he's actually done. Um, and that legal advice, that external legal advice has vindicated him. You know, he's saying on the News Watch 1, I don't think I've ever seen such extensive and, and in-depth legal advice in my entire career. Um, and I'd say he was happy to yeah. see that. Um, but he's now asking those executives uh, who, you know, maybe he can't publish their names, but he's written to them and said, you know, do you consent to your rights being waived? Yes, and Alan Dillon saying, well, maybe mm. we can get the amount in aggregate and so on. But the, it, in a way, there's a bit of, of a philosophical clash here, isn't there, Tommy? Because on, on the one hand, the, you know, the, all these exit deals may be entirely, you know, legal, the confidentiality around them may be watertight. And indeed, this precedence, you know, in lots of other uh, companies in situations like this. That's set against, if you, lo- if you like, the fact that RTE is now heavily dependent on public funding and politicians certainly take the view if you're getting public funding, we want to see where every cent of it is going. Alan Dillon kind of alluded to that last week when he got that information out of Kevin Backhurst around Brito O'Keefe's exit deal. He reminded him that, you know, this was the era of transparency, reinstating integrity into the organisation. I suppose in that context, uh, no, it's not a good look. And there was a, a desire from across the political system from the Taoiseach down that RTE would uh, show maximum transparency in relation to to these exit deals. I think, though, following the advice today, as Gabby has said, Kevin Backer said it was very clear, uh, the most robust he had seen in his yeah. career. The indications now from many politicians is that they sort of accept that advice too. Mm-hmm. Catherine Martin, the media minister, was speaking us to, speaking to us this afternoon as she met, said herself that basically RTE, they cannot break the law here. 
So the ball comes back to the politicians on the committees, Gabia. And then we also have uh, what the Irish Times was calling today in its reporting, a turf war mm. between the media committee and, of course, the public accounts committee. And we also hear that the government is considering bringing RTE under the remit of the Controller and Auditor General in future, which would mean lots more trips back to the public accounts committee. So fill us in on all of that. Yeah, so interesting comments by the Taoiseach last night to Fine Gael, Parliamentary Party, saying, indeed, um, the CNAG, which is the state's uh, auditor, may take RT under its remit. Um, and that is something that the PAC is expected to look for as well when it publishes its report into RTE. There is a little bit of disagreement between the Media Committee and the Public Accounts Committee. The remit of the Media Committee is very much so, you know, RTE as a broadcaster, the media landscape and how to fund it, whereas Public Accounts Committee is more so interested in how taxpayers' money was spent. But there has been a lot of overlap between the two. And we saw executives coming in, even when Ryan Tuberty and his agent Noel Kelly came in. You know, in the morning it was one committee, in the afternoon it was a second one. And a lot of it was following up on what was said earlier that day. So there is a lot of crossover. I think they're trying to flesh out, when are you putting out your report? Okay, we're going to put out our report here. And are the two reports going to be very, very similar? Um, ultimately, what is the really important actually is those two external reports that the government is waiting on into culture and into governance because they actually will dictate exactly how the yeah. government thinks on this when it comes to reforming the TV licence. From Neve Brennan and Patricia King. But before, as those reports are being worked on, uh, all of them, the committee reports and those RTE reports, um, there are still key questions committees of members have made clear they don't know the answers to because they haven't heard the accounts from key players. Now, there's been talk of compelabilities. There's been talk of written submissions. Is that just talk? How serious is any of this? I think when it comes to compelability, I think it is just talk. I mean, they would like to, but I think many of the members accept that it would be really challenging and difficult to do that, given the fact that the witnesses in question have cited illness as mm -hmm. the reason that they cannot attend. Um, the media committee, though, the chairperson, Neve Smith, was speaking today and she said that her committee is looking at whether they could extend an olive branch, maybe, and see if you could get these witnesses to engage some way, somehow with the committee, perhaps maybe a written statement or a video call, but that they would, would contribute in some way as the media committee and the PAC go about trying to finalise the reports. Where do you think it's all going, Gabia? There's I no think, sign of a resolution anytime soon, is there? You know, a lot of the questions actually lay at the door of the former Director General, which is Dee Forbes. We know that she's citing illness and that's completely fair enough and politicians understand that. But a lot of the evidence that's before the committees, you know, whether rightly or wrongly, it kind of blames her as the culprit. And we haven't really heard her side. We saw a statement that she put out um, when the Ryan Tuberty hidden payments scandal mm -hmm. broke last summer but there's a lot of questions that she hasn't answered. And in fairness, she hasn't put her side of the story forward. So perhaps a lot of these things that she's been accused of actually aren't true. And a lot of these things she's been blamed for actually aren't her fault at all. So I think until she breaks her silence, be it through a committee appearance, be it through an interview, um, written statement perhaps, if, if, if Neve Smith can extract that from her, we are going to see those questions about RTE rumble onwards. And also, of course... We have to wait for the TV licence reform. But I think even past that, you know, those questions around D Forbes and those scenarios mm -hmm. where people are saying it's it's the former DG. Well, we don't know if it is the former DG because we haven't heard from her. Yeah. And Michal Martin saying the government hopes to have a decision uh, on the future funding, at least the structure of it, mm -hmm. that that decision would be made uh, before the summer. But we'll see uh, what happens there. Another issue that's still rumbling on and causing so much suffering uh, is 
I was going to say the treatment of people with scoliosis, but it's more the mistreatment of people with scoliosis. And again, the political system grappling with the fact that, you know, going back to Simon Harris and the Ministry of Health, you know, politicians have been saying, we're going to fix this. There was millions put aside that was going to fix this. And here we are. And it's not fixed. Taoiseach saying this week in the Dáil, there's no lack of political will and there's no lack of money. But I think some would make the point we've been hearing similar lines for a the past number of years and there has been no change and this week we had uh, children who are suffering from these conditions actually in the Dáil and, and at Leinster House uh, because Sinn Féin was bringing a motion with their own plan on how this could be solved and they're calling for an independent task force um, throughout that debate or during that debate we, we heard as well that the Minister for Health is to appoint a HSE auditor because he allocated 19 million euro back in 2022 which was welcomed by many it was to bring down waiting lists the trouble is that they haven't gone down uh, by as much as they would like and the Minister isn't totally clear on how that money was yeah. spent and now that auditor is being put in place uh, to try to get to the bottom of it all the while these children continue to wait and it's, th mm. it's a kind of condition where if you don't get to it early it can have much more terrible consequences as time goes by. I mean, it's night, been a nightmare, hasn't it, for the families? Absolutely. And it's those human interest stories that really strike a chord. I mean, we've heard them played out across television and across radio. Those parents who don't know what to do, their children, as Tommy rightfully says, the longer that you wait, the curvature in your spine gets worse. Um, and, and the more serious the consequences are as you grow up and you live, uh, you, you continue with your life. And unfortunately for the government, it looks really, really bad because we are a very rich country. We're doing quite well on a number of things when it comes to the economy, for example. Um, when you compare us to other European Employment countries. Employment grows up again, isn't it? The greatest number of people that have people, ever been employed people are in this working. country. You know, yeah. it's not an issue of money or political will. So what is the problem then? And, you know, Stephen Donnelly appointing that auditor perhaps almost suggesting that, you know, the HSC didn't spend that money correctly. 19 million that was allocated. I mean, I'd be interested to see what the HSC's response to it is, but I'm sure they're going to come back and they're going to say, well, the money was spent on X, Y, Z. Those are all very necessary things. And we just, you know, these things don't happen overnight. But like, it's yet another bad news story for the government. And I also will make the point that the issues of health and housing are always, always going to be come back and use against the government to show, uh, to highlight their failures. And again, more data on house prices this week. They're going up again, uh, or they've gone up again mm -hmm. uh, across the country despite uh, the interest rate pressure and so on. And of course, we had the data previously uh, about rents. So, so health and housing. And the question for politicians again and again, because again, health budgets have ballooned through COVID. Again, we're spending more than we ever did before. But it's the question of getting the bank for the buck and the delivery and that that constantly appears to be the gap. Ivana Batchik was criticising the, the HSE embargo again uh, this week. She's been criticising it for some time, as have many people. Uh, but Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, was making that point that they keep adding extra money to, to the health budget. Uh, and yes, it is spent, but perhaps they're not seeing the results and that maybe uh, and that this is the reason that they've put this embargo in place, because Basically, I think yeah. they want to see the, the HSC and, and health authorities tighten up. There was a counter-argument, though, wasn't there, mm -hmm. from the HSC around budget time last year, in fact, that the allocation was an underestimate. And if you look at population growth, mm -hmm. that you know this is why we're having the same problems year after year. But ultimately, like the government is in charge, and we've seen other health ministers do this as well. We know the rows that Anne Rabbit has had with the HSC, for example. I mean, you are still the minister. You are still in charge. So surely you can put your foot down and say, actually, it's going to be this yeah. way. I don't care what the advice is. This is what's right for the people that are coming to me, the people that if they need their scoliosis treatments or whatever it is, 
this is the way it's going to be. And if you have to reform the HSC to make that happen, then you should do it because you are in government. Speaking of rows, <laughs> Tishuk wasn't happy with the question you asked him this week. And this was, of course, uh, following the independence coverage uh, of what seems to have been, well, a couple of eyebrows raised at the outcome of the Fine Gael European Selection Convention. R- Regina Doherty was selected uh, as the nominee, even though uh, Josefa Madigan uh, appeared to have mm-hmm. headquarters backing. Yes, so uh, the coverage from myself, I, I wrote a news story and then my political letter, Philip Ryan wrote an analysis that Tishuk wasn't very happy with at all. But it's really these existential questions uh, that Fine Gael is looking at ahead of what's going to be a very, very busy political season with referendums, with elections. Um, and a lot of TDs and senators privately are thinking, you know, what is going on within the party? The referendums, they're afraid that, you know, if not one or both of them might be lost, they're going to be seen as the public's vote of confidence in the government. Um, this issue of Rory Coveney, he's of course Simon Coveney's brother, the Enterprise Minister, that's po- uh, creating awkward questions. And Minister Coveney has been recusing himself for Cabinet whenever RT Yes, comes and up, he's yeah. declined to, to speak about it and I suppose some in the party acknowledge that's correct, others have different views. Um, and then the selection Election convention on Sunday night in St. Pat's DCU. Josefa Madigan, who's the Minister of State at the Department of Education, widely expected to get the bid, the, Euro- the European nod for the Dublin seat, which is, of course, Francis Fitzgerald's seat. And actually, she came third. She came last um, with the three candidates that went first. And it was Senator Regina Doherty, um, who's, you know, kind of, that would have been her area, North Dublin, uh, who who won over, overwhelmingly. She got a very good vote and so did Senator Barry Ward, who came in second. And a lot of TDs are looking at that going, you know, this is Dublin. This is the Taoiseach's turf. And people that are speaking to him on the ground, you know, Neil Richmond, Minister of State, Neil Richmond, uh, Public Expenditure Minister, Pascal Donoghue, gave public backing to Josefa Madigan. You know, they clearly don't know what's going on on the ground and the Taoiseach has misjudged this. And what does this mm-hmm. mean for us heading into the locals and possibly general election very well, soon? We, I suppose we have to bear in mind what Phil Hogan was saying and indeed looking at the polling, it bears it out. If you look at Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael together on the polling at the moment, uh, it looks as if the government could stand a reasonable chance uh, of being re-elected. His concern, of course, was uh, Phil Hogan. He was worried about, if you like, the green leg of that and whether that support would hold up. But the other issue for Fine Gael heading into any of these elections is the continuing exodus of their TDs. We heard from Paul Keogh not standing again. Yeah, he's bowing out and still relatively young to be bowing out. Um, Fine Gael will, will spin this as, you know, renewal. These are people that had long political careers, which is true. They're naturally coming to the end of their careers. They're bowing out. It's an opportunity to run more candidates, perhaps an opportunity to, to run more female candidates because there will be uh, gender balance uh, requirements. But the power of, of incumbency is is powerful too uh, and you're bringing in a whole pleasure of new candidates that no, don't have name recognition that could present a real problem for Fine Gael in the next general election. there's potentially more to come, aren't there? Yes, yeah. Um, indications, yeah, that there could be a, a few more. The Taoiseach himself has well, indicated... Well, there's speculation, isn't there, about Bernard Durkin or Michael Ring? I don't know. Yes, yeah. I mean, the likes of Michael Ring so far are saying that he will run again, but uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, another party that is having to make decisions around candidates that will run for Europe is Fianna Fáil and Midlands Northwest. Barry Cowan won the nomination uh, for that constituency, uh, but they are going to run a running mate 
um, there was a suggestion that they might run two because Niall Blaney performed quite well in that selection convention and Lisa Chambers came third. I understand they're going to make a decision by the end of this week and yeah. uh, from speaking to people involved in the process, it looks like Lisa Chambers is being favoured at this point in time. But... Is Fianna Fáil still smarting from that um, claim by Maria Walsh, the <laughs> Fine Gael MEP, uh, that their lineup was looking male and stale and pointing out something about them all being 56-year-old men? Is that the number? Yeah, I think so. And and I asked the Tawnish when I was uh, uh, travelling with him in the US um, the other week and I said, you know, he obviously rejected the claims and he said, look, um, that's not the case at all and, and people have experience and, and, and they're going to be great candidates and so on. And then I, and he said, well, you know, the tickets aren't finished. We might, we might be adding more people to the tickets. And I said, will they be women? And he wasn't able to confirm that. So it's interesting to hear that Lisa Chambers might be, might end up on that ticket. But it's a very, it's a very valid problem for, for a lot of those political parties, especially once you want when you want to run candidates um, in certain constituencies, you want people who are vote winners. Um, and with so many people who are bowing out of politics, social media is putting them off it as well. The, some yeah. of the women are saying, do you know what? I have no interest in it. And actually you talk about social media and we've had um, X in uh, at the media committee this week in, in private session. Uh, and again, the Independent reporting today uh, what Labour Senator Annie Hoey had to say to them about her own uh, mm-hmm. experience. And, you, you know, I mean, she's not unique amongst TDs in, in the kind of abuse she's endured online. She's also a survivor uh, of sexual assault, as she's spoken about. So, I mean, it's incredibly traumatic. Paul Kyo spoke again about the kind of, you know, the online abuse. And it is a huge factor for all TDs, no matter their gender um, does anyone it doesn't appear that the politicians sense they're getting much answer much sucker on this I don't think they were very reassured and the fact that that meeting was in private Meta had a similar meeting a couple of weeks ago with the, the Iraqs committee would only do it in private again Annie Howie, um, you know really put forward some of her own personal experiences on the social platform formerly known as Twitter you know the the, the horrible curse words directed at her the, the threats that she received um, you know reporting things and she said well how many times can I report things I have other things to be doing in my day um, interestingly, um, Elon Musk, who of course owns X, he has said previously that he will support any challenges to the hate speech legislation um, if anybody wishes to take them. But the executives um, that were at the committee yesterday, they actually, you know, put forward their support for that legislation. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of contradiction between what they're saying and what their owner is saying. We're still waiting on that hate speech legislation to come back to the doll. It was due earlier in the new year, I thought, wasn't it? One would wonder, will they get it over the line <laughs> by the end of this government? It has proved uh, very controversial yeah. for the government uh, and in the context of local and European elections and indeed a, a general election coming up, uh, could it provide too much of a distraction? Or in the context of, for instance, the leader of the political party, Holly Cairns, having to close her constituency office because of safety concerns. The Dáil appointed... Uh, Noreen O'Sullivan, the former Garda commissioner, to to look into issues around safety of TDs and TDs could come to her sharing their own experiences. From what I've heard, there hasn't been a huge amount of feedback on that. So I think that's interesting. Maybe they feel it's not worth their while. but from what I hear, there, there hasn't been a huge amount of feedback in, on that front. What you hear increasingly from politicians, actually, um, who are getting this kind of abuse is 
they they try not to look at this stuff mm. and it's their staff and but then they're concerned for their staff having to see this. Yes, there's a couple of levels to this. So there's a level of abuse that you're seeing on social media and social media to an extent you can turn off the phone, turn off the laptop, perhaps your staff are looking at it, your staff who are on much less money than the politician or the minister yeah. and they shouldn't be subjected to it. Then there's the abuse that you get um, in real life which is much more scary and what we are seeing now much more frequently, I saw a video even this morning of uh, Social Democrats TD Gary Gannon on a Lewis yeah. and somebody coming up to him with a phone asking him questions. He didn't answer. In, fa- in fairness, the person walked away. Um, you know, Alan, Alan Dillon, the Fine Gael TD, had an incident before Christmas Eve. He was in Tesco's trying to do his shopping yeah. and people, you know, were asking him questions and, and, and putting the camera in his face. And the Burks with Roderick O'Gorman. Yes, and they've yeah. and they've done the same to Alan Dillon as well, and and other TDs, you know, not just necessarily from from one cohort, but you know, from it's happening more and more often now, and so people might say, well, why should I go into politics if it's twenty four seven? It's completely relentless. I'm always being scrutinised. I'm always doing something wrong, and there is no disconnection from it. I have to face it, and then I go, I look online, and I have to face it again, and I have to face it in real life. And um, you know, there's a, there's a difference between what happens on the doll on the floor of the doll, yeah. um, and that being repeated throughout your day so I don't know what the answer is to it I suppose yes the guards have committed to helping politicians out in some way and, and giving them that additional layer of protection but more chillingly what some TDs believe is that it's only a matter of time before very eerily and scarily a politician gets killed Do you know it's funny I was talking to a, a member of staff in here and one of the things you know when you have the privilege of coming in and out of this place regularly the people who work here love working here and they care so much about working here and there's a lot of visitors in today and mm-hmm. anyhow we were just chatting about the visitors being in and, and how much they enjoy it and when you see you know how much people who are just working in this building how much they care and respect for the history the tradition the democracy so whatever anyone thinks of any individual politician the respect that they have for that and then outside the gates that seems to have disappeared completely and I know a lot of people will think that as twee but isn't doesn't that matter? I think it does. <laughs> you don't have to answer that well, if you don't want to. I mean, yeah. it's hard to know what the reason is behind that. Is it social media? Are, are, is it leading to increased polarisation? Yeah. Perhaps it is. Who knows? Outgoing Senator David Norris was asked about this on The Week in Politics a few months ago on your programme. Uh, when you were doing the interview, <laughs> yes, go on. I thought his answer was very interesting because we asked him about increased polarisation. That's a man who's no stranger yes, to exactly. attacks on him personally. Uh and he sort of dismissed this far right thing. He said that maybe sometimes we, we read too much into it. He doesn't see them as a significant threat to democracy, to the institutions that you refer to. They're very loud and they're loud when they're outside the door and they're loud on social media. But he said that in the whole, from his observations, that that in the yeah. in the round Irish people respect institutions. They respect by and large what politicians are, are doing in this house, even though they may have political disagreements. It was with a them. lovely interview, actually. Um, he had a picture of David Norris of himself eating ice cream recently, <laughs> so he's enjoying. He knows how to live. <laughs> yeah, he's enjoying his retirement. Um, coming back home, finally. Um, I mean, it's still a couple of weeks to go, um, but we're starting to see the various sides line up in the referendum campaigns. Two questions that are going to be put uh, to the people on March the 8th in relation to uh, the family and care. Uh, And basically people have a choice of voting yes, yes, no, no, yes, no or no, yes. And we're starting to see various iterations of those emerge, aren't we? 
The big problem for the government on this referendum is that there's a lot of confusion around it uh, and a lot of people not fully sure on what they're voting for and why they're voting for it. Uh, this week, the Sinn Féin party launched its campaign for the referendum. I suppose it's significant that the main opposition party has thrown its support behind this. It's lukewarm support, though. Mary Lou Macdonald said that she is advocating yes, yes, but in terms of the care provision, she says it doesn't go far enough. She would have preferred to have seen it in line with the Citizens' Assembly recommendation, which would recognise care outside the home as well as inside the home. Uh, but she did say that people should be careful not to make the perfect the enemy of the good, in her view. Uh, and in that regard, she's going to support the referendum. But it's it's not a it's not a wholesome support either, I don't think. And who are some of the main voices we're starting to see on either side? Gabby? Yeah, so of, of course you have the government parties that are very strong yeah. on, the, on the yes, yes vote, the National Women's Council as well. On the no side, though, I think there is a fair few actors who are coming out and they're quite strong on it. And I think they're actually being quite effective. Um, and to leader Padre Tobin, you know, no, no vote for him. Uh, the Free Legal Advice Centre has come out this week giving its opinions, raising some serious concerns. Michael McDougall... They were a yes, no. Isn't that what they were... Yeah, it was yeah. kind of a mixed uh, response from them. Michael McDougall as well has, has raised serious concerns. I mean, he's very much advocating a no, no vote, um, is my understanding. So there there have been some very, very strong voices. I think you, you actually hit the nail on the head there. People don't really know what they're voting for or, or why they're voting for it or, or why now. Um, and, and really, I think the public struggle to understand what impact it yeah. is going to have on their everyday life um, so I think when they look at some of the coverage you have to be very careful and this is a challenge for government ultimately that voters are not swayed one way or another because of misinformation Although the Irish Times uh, opinion poll on it recently when the public were canvassed on this uh, indicated a very high levels of support for yes yes um, although also a lot of a lot of confusion perhaps and so there's there's, I suppose there's the question of the motivation behind these referendums mm-hmm. and then the actual wording and is the wording achieving, if you like, what the motivation is and then whether people agree with that either way. I've heard as well, sometimes that support can ebb away as the campaign goes along. So initially people might say, yes, of course, I want to remove mm-hmm. the reference to, to women in the home. Uh, but as people focus in on the campaigns and the likes of Senator Michael McDougall and those make their points uh, that maybe that, that support could ebb away and I'm sure that that would be a concern for the government. All right, well, it'll all be, you'll be hearing a lot more about that uh, between now and March the 8th. Gabby, thank you for coming today. Thank you. We didn't even have a cup of coffee for you. You had to bring your own water. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you very much. It's always nice to have a visitor here here in the bowels of the RTE studio. Tommy, you can go back to work and we'll talk to you again next week around the same time. Thanks. Goodbye. (laughs) 